Futurist, a podcast with Guy Clapton. Hello and thanks for downloading The Near Futurist, a show presented by me, Guy Clapperton. In this episode, we're looking into artificial intelligence, ethics and related issues. But first, a little bit about who you're listening to. I'm a technology journalist with 30 years experience. You might have heard me or seen me on the BBC occasionally, read some of my books or seen me in The Guardian, Intelligent Sourcing Magazine and elsewhere. Do have a look at my website at nearfuturist.co.uk where you'll find more episodes and information on what we're about. If you'd like to book me as a speaker or moderator of your technology event, do have a look and then get in touch with my agent, whose details are, of course, on the site. If you like what you're hearing on this podcast, please do consider leaving a review on the iTunes store or wherever you download it from. But that's more than enough from me. Let's talk to our guests for this episode. I'm recording at the London office of Accenture, or at least one of them, being hosted by the company's AI lead. She focuses on how to create AI, which really works at scale for business, building trust in technology, and also looks at the future of work, which is lucky, what with this podcast being called The Near Futurist. Her name is Emma Kendrew. Emma, thanks for making the time. Thanks, Guy. Welcome. Let's just pretend, for example, I cut and paste that intro from whatever your public relations person happens to have <laughs> sent me, uh, as if. Tell me in your own words, what does it actually mean in practice? Yes, that one's probably straight from the textbook. Well, I'm very lucky I've got a fascinating job. It's my job to understand artificial intelligence, understand the technologies that are available, their capabilities, what they can do today, and then think about how they can be applied to solve real-world problems, businesses and organisations. So that could be anything from from improving customer service to thinking about new business products and business models or services or thinking about how we improve citizen services across the country. Okay, now I've uh, been working in this sort of area as a journalist for quite some time. A few years ago there was a lot of talk about say robotic process automation but it was mostly talk at that stage. I'm now hearing an awful lot of talk about artificial intelligence. A lot of it does sound quite theoretical. What's actually out there? What's happening in the real world now? I think, you know, we saw this big kind of hype around robotic process automation a couple of years ago. And then really in the last 18 months, again, we've seen a real hype around artificial intelligence. Barely a day goes by that you look in the newspaper or in the media and there's not some kind of headline about how artificial intelligence is going to save us all or destroy us all. Or, or something in between and I, you know they, they talk about Gartner for example talk about this hype cycle and how you meet, reach the peak of hype and then that's often followed by a kind of trough of disillusionment as we sort of think about well is the hype real actually how can these technologies be applied today to help us with particular problems and I think we have kind of reached that peak of hype and for the early adopters we've maybe moved into a bit of disillusionment maybe in the public and people who've tried it to start with to, um, in how how much it can live up to that kind of hyped promise having said that we are seeing ai used more and more in some respects it, it's an everyday thing for example the search engines we use every day are using artificial intelligence online media so online streaming of movies and music that again those services that we're all using more and more are using artificial intelligence within them so on the one hand it's something that's becoming more and more pervasive without us necessarily even realizing that it's artificial intelligence on the other hand it's an evolution and and there are some applications of ai that are absolutely mature and ready to use now things like the voice assistants that we've many of, of us have in our homes but there are other applications of ai that will only come in time i'm interested that you mentioned the the disillusionment element we've all heard 
highly amusing stories like a Microsoft chatbot on Twitter that became highly racist because people managed to train it to and racist, sexist, homophobic, etc. All, all jolly fun. But there is, is some serious disillusion out there. Where do people feel AI is letting them down? And uh, you know, was that a matter of expectations? Was it a matter of jumping in too early? What's, what's behind that part of the cycle, do you think? I think there are a few dimensions to this. First of all, I think that AI has the potential, it has huge potential to solve really that requires us to overcome quite a few challenges for us to make that happen. So I think the expectations are very high, but actually the speed at which we can implement some of these things in practice is a little bit slower. And I think expectations were very high, and I think the early adopters of AI, the businesses that have first applied it, have, have sort of experimented with it. We've been in very much a sort of phase of experimentation and early adoption. And I think that there is naturally perception problem around AI. There's naturally a little bit of distrust about AI within the public realm, primarily because up until now, artificial intelligence has been very much in the realm of fiction and science fiction. And, and with any new technology like this, as it's evolving so rapidly, we have to think about whether or not we trust the technology. And when we don't have any proof of how it works, we can't base our trust on the past performance of that technology, on our experience of that technology. We have to base it on the future possibility or the potential of the technology. I think people are being asked very much to base their trust in AI on its future potential, its future possibility, without necessarily proof of that. And without proof, I think we fall back to a kind of emotional response that's based on our perception that may have come from things like films, media, and these kind of dystopian images we have of robots taking over the world, robots taking over our jobs, and, and AI actually not working for the good of people, but actually doing detriment. So I think there's an element of, first of all, AI will take time to really deliver on its full potential because there are some serious technical and trust challenges in scaling it. And secondly, there is naturally a little bit of distrust around artificial intelligence because of how our perceptions are built up over time. I think that makes a lot of sense. I wonder if there's also something about um, not really being prepared for some of the changes it brings with it. I'll give you an example. Uh, you've mentioned that if they take over as the mainstream, almost without people realising it, is, say, internet search. If I look for, you know, uh, say, I haven't got one with me, so I can safely say the word Alexa. Apologies to anybody who's listening who's got an Alexa in the background. I promise I'll stop saying Alexa in just a minute. But if you announce to that particular assistant you want a plumber nearby or a consultant like yourselves, you get one answer. And that's a radical change, and it's something I don't think the rest of the world's infrastructure is quite ready for. Now, maybe that's a feature of voice rather than AI, but there's sometimes a lot of this technology brings through an awful lot of changes that we hadn't actually anticipated and hadn't realised were going to change overnight. And uh, I wonder if we're ready for all those things. Absolutely. I think the growing use of voice is a really interesting case study because we're seeing that's you know something that's being adopted in the workplace, but more and more actually it's being adopted by consumers. So I think there was some research just before Christmas that said one in 10 households in the UK had some form of voice assistant, whether it was an Alexa or a Google Home or any other brand. And I'm sure it's many more since Christmas because we know that many were given as gifts. But Christmas so, was, of course, ages ago. We're pretending it's February, OK? OK, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely right, yeah. Thank you. So we know that many people have these voice assistants in their home, but our research has shown that people are using them for only the most basic of functions. So they may be using them to interact, to check the weather, to ask a quick 
question or maybe to ask to hear the music or the radio that they want to listen to but they're using only a handful of the thousands of different functions that are actually available in those voice assistants and I think that's a little bit because we all need a little bit of time to catch up typically we haven't historically been used to interacting with technology and devices through a voice interaction we've been used to a very process-led transactional picking up of a device opening the device logging into the device and then deciding how we want to interact with it primarily using typing now we have to learn to interact with technology in a very different way and I think people are becoming more and more comfortable with that as they practice with it as they try it and as it you know as it helps them as they sort of see the convenience factor of using it in their own homes but you're absolutely right it's not we can't just implement AI and hope that everything else will follow actually there's an enormous amount about our own processes and how we all behave that will evolve as we start to embed more technology like AI in our everyday lives at home and also in our everyday lives at work. I think that's right. I'd like also to pick up on another thing you mentioned earlier, uh, and indeed we mentioned in the intro, uh, you, you mentioned the word scale. Now, of course, one thing, me having this, what I'm increasingly regarding as an overpriced alarm clock called Alexa in mind. Sorry, did I say Alexa again? I do apologise. I'll stop saying Alexa. Uh, part of your brief is very much to make this stuff work to scale. What are the issues, if you're a large corporate, that to other people might perhaps not be aware of, that apply when you're looking at AI on, in scale? Absolutely, this is a really interesting question and one that's really coming to the forefront as businesses think about how to use AI to solve some of their problems and and how to use it for their future business models. And I think that alludes to what we talked about earlier, which is why perhaps we haven't seen AI move as quickly as we might have as anticipated or why, as the hype suggested. Because actually, whilst it's relatively easy to experiment with AI at a small scale and to try very narrow purpose use cases or or functions, actually to make it work for thousands or millions of users across multiple sites or across a whole nation or even internationally has some very specific technical challenges. And and actually I see this, there's, there's a challenge on the supply side, which is the technology, and there's also a challenge on the demand side, which is the users. So if we think about the supply side and the technology for large organisations that really want to implement AI across their business, there's three big challenges. And the first one really is around data. So AI is only as good as the data that we use to teach it because it has to learn how to behave, how to take the right action or the right decision. And so to, to have AI that operates at huge scale, maybe handling thousands of different types of conversation, for example, then we need huge volumes of data to train it so that it can understand all the different variations. And that means that for companies, they need to be able to bring all of their data together. So you need a program around big data to get all of that data in one place so that you can use it for your AI. The second aspect of data that's so important then is also the accuracy of the data. You mentioned one of the bots that sort of went off in the wrong direction because there were biases in the data that was used to train it. And so it doesn't really matter, whilst you need a huge volume of data to train AI for scale, you also need to be conscious of the veracity of that data, the accuracy of it, and make sure that you're looking to identify and hopefully eradicate any biases that might be built in. I'm just wondering if there's any any such thing as unbiased. One of the earliest things I learned as a journalist was if uh, one person said they just won a contract, that could well mean another person has just failed to get a contract or another Absolutely. person has just lost it. So which yeah. of those is the objective view? Answer, they kind of both are, 
but you're taking an angle and a decision immediately you start reporting from the one way or the other and uh, you you mentioned this uh, you know the idea that the Microsoft bot got um, with apologies to Microsoft I'm not just kicking you in the teeth again uh, but that, that got led in the wrong direction that was a very obvious wrong direction but somewhere at a much lower level which is the right direction which is the wrong direction I'm just wondering I know you look at ethics where do you even start with a question like that yeah, absolutely. And this is a really interesting question. And again, these questions of ethics are coming more and more to the forefront as we all as providers start to think about applying this technology at scale. I think with regards to that question, that there's a couple of dimensions. One is around the kind of data and what we use AI for it. And, and the more we can use it for things that are not completely subjective so things where there is a right or a wrong then you can start to train the AI in the first instance in things where the answer is relatively obvious and make sure that your data is feeding it in the right way and this is something that the tech providers have become more and more focused on in the last 12 months and we've seen all of the big providers IBM Watson, Microsoft, Google, Amazon all starting to look and even Accenture we've got our own tool that starts to look at identifying where you might have bias in data, highlighting it so that the programmers of the AI can then at least be conscious of the bias that's in that AI and look at how best to deal with the AI. I've seen some coverage, not of uh, any of the examples that you just mentioned, and especially not of Accenture, but uh, that says that some AI and some technology programs are becoming male-biased because they're unconsciously, the men who write them, it is predominantly the male of the species at the moment, actually accidentally put their own bias in there without realising it because of course it's easy for someone else to see that I might be biased about Mm. something but from in my head in here it looks perfectly clear to me I don't think I'm biased in the slightest is that something that you can actually combat or is it something that perhaps the AI should start looking out for itself How, how do you I mean, I think this is something that we should all be incredibly concerned with, actually. It's something, it's a real passionate issue for me. And it is the second dimension of how we address bias in AI, because even if we've addressed some of the biases in the data, we need to make sure that that we try to eliminate bias in the teams that are designing, developing and deploying AI. And, you know, certainly gender diversity is something that I'm particularly focused on in in my role here in Accenture and it's no secret that we have issues with gender diversity and technology in the industry as a whole and AI is no different. It's absolutely crucial that to develop an AI that works for people, that works across society it needs to be designed and developed by teams that represent that society and I think the gender element is one that's particularly clear to us in some of the things that have been developed and some of the things we've seen in the headlines for example we're hearing more and more the question why is it that so many of the voice assistants or the home assistants have a female persona and actually if we think about some of the potentially unintended consequences of that what does it mean if our children are growing up in a household where there is a technology assistant with a female persona that they expect to do certain tasks for them does that influence our perceptions of gender roles and will that have consequences further down the line so i think you know we need to think about inclusion and diversity all the time in the design of AI and how we apply it in the real world. The other thing is, of course, people start ascribing actual personality to these things. I was talking to a friend of mine uh, who brought one of these things to his parents, and uh, they always asked Alexa to do something when they knew what time it was or when they knew what the weather was like or something. They would always say, thank you. And, uh, yes. <clears throat> why not? It is, it's, it's harmless enough. I'd like to come back to the central point, though, about nobody has ever said... Uh, I, 
I imagine nobody's ever come into these premises and said, I'd like some AI, please. What typically are they looking to solve? What can you help with? How do you go about introducing the idea of AI being a good idea? It's very interesting you should say that, actually, because people do sometimes come and say, I want to do some AI. And actually, that's that is really a trap that we all need to try to avoid falling into. Because I think with all of these new kind of technologies that are evolving very rapidly, there's a risk of doing the technology for the sake of doing the technology. And I think this is something we've particularly seen in some instances with AI. So they, they come in, they want a bit of AI, a bit of cloud. Exactly, because, it because data, it, it, heard that's pretty good. it's the next big thing, so yeah. we feel like we need to be doing it, so we'd like to do some AI, or we'd like to do some cloud, or we'd like to do some robotic process automation, as an example. And and the response to that is always, what is the problem that you are trying to solve? Because mm-hmm. we always have to start with the problem, and then think about how technology and artificial intelligence, in my case, might be best used, even if it's appropriate to handle within healthcare, for example. But it very much depends on the problem statement that we're trying to solve. So, for example, if our problem is we want to improve diagnosis rates in cancer, for example, AI has a central role to play in that, in collating lots of data, getting the insights from all that patient data and and identifying patterns. It can help us very clearly improve those diagnosis rates. If the problem we need to solve is we need to improve the patient experience for people undergoing treatment or we need to improve the quality of care, AI probably does have a role to play in that, but it's a very different role and it's probably not core. That might be that it can do some of the, it can help nurses and caregivers by taking some of the administrative load off their plate so that they can focus more on the core of their job, which is the patient experience. So there's two quite different problem statements there within healthcare and AI has a quite different role to play which is why we always need to come back to what is it that you want to achieve what are we trying to do does AI even have a role and if it does how can we best apply it we've mentioned of course that you've mentioned rather the idea that some people perceive that AI and robotics etc is going to destroy us all or at least damage the employment market for us which is a bit less drastic but still harmful should we be worried then you know what is AI starting to do should human workers be worried and my daughter has started college in September what skills should the young people be learning now to try and anticipate how to survive in an AI driven technology driven world Absolutely. Well, I mean, I think we've all read the dystopian headlines that the robots come in to take all of our jobs. And and I think it's a completely understandable concern. I think it's one we all share. It's a very human concern because we, we there's so much about the future of work that we don't yet know that we have to see evolve. I think it's really important within this dialogue that we base our concern and we ground what we do in fact rather than fiction but that we are proactively trying to manage the impacts of all of these technologies and so that we understand what it means for skills building and what it means for the future of work so people can start to react to it. We are going to see a shift in the kind of roles that people do. More predictable, repetitive, rules-based tasks will increasingly, I think, be satisfied by technology. And we'll see a rising importance in those skills that are uniquely human. So empathy, creativity, collaboration, everything that makes up emotional intelligence, because that's what humans can uniquely bring. And so they are the, they are the skills and the attributes that I think we need to focus on more and more. Mm-hmm. I think this is, again, something that's 
rising up the agenda and something that we need to really get ahead of as soon as we can because I don't think that our education system and skills building at the moment is fit for the future that we're going to all be working in. We need to think much more about the blend of skills and it's a much broader blend of skills that we'll all need to be conversant with technology because technology is absolutely embedded in how we all live and work now but to be able to focus on those uniquely human skills on emotional reasoning on collaboration on creativity and and communication and I think it's it's something actually that's relevant for all of us at every age we're we're realizing now that whilst we might have invested a lot in our education when we were younger it's not the case that you learn something when you're young and then it sees you through the whole of your career I think we're moving much more into an era of continuous learning and continuous evolution of our roles that was actually going to be my next question. I've, uh, I mentioned young people specifically there. Mm. But of course, it's, I would argue, perhaps there's an even larger issue, or an equally large issue, about, say, people who are middle aged to late middle aged. It's then that the employers got to ask themselves is there any mileage in training, retraining these people? Because they're only going to be around for a couple of years after that. I mean, is that, do you think that's going to be an issue? I think this is really key that we don't just think about education and skills for our children. I think we do need to think about it across the board for all demographics and particularly with our changing demographics and the fact that people are living longer into old age. AI is actually going to help people live more independently for longer because you can have things like home care assistance Mm -hmm. that help people be more independent. So there's a whole kind of combination of different demographic and technology factors that come into play. I think we absolutely need to think much more about the evolution of skills for people at all stages of the workforce in all different types of role and it's something that I think hopefully we'll start to see much more of this cross-sector collaboration so it's rising up the government agenda and I'm pleased to see that we need business to work in collaboration with government to think about how what will people's roles look like in the near future in the next two to five years and how can we start positioning for that now because it doesn't need to come as a surprise to us we can get out ahead of it and we can be proactive about it it requires focus and let's not forget as well that if you talk to a health professional about developing skills and continuing education they tend to hint that you will end up with a a healthier brain physically if you continue to stimulate it as you get older so I think that uh, probably a win-win there as long as we can actually do it we're speaking a bit as if I was this just one thing I'm aware there are some very complex organisations out there, some of which have grown up without any AI at all. Um, how does this, uh, is there a, a difference to the way it applies in perhaps a more complex environment internationally, etc., you know, with the different cultures left, right, and centre? That must make your job much more difficult. Yeah, I mean, I think this is the thing. There's a, probably a sense or a perception that, that AI is this one thing and kind of one AI fits all. Actually, Artificial intelligence is a sort of whole collection of different technology capabilities and, and the um, we call it the ecosystem of all of the different providers that can deliver some kind of AI solution is, is much bigger than we're used to working with in other areas. So, you know, there are a multitude of different companies and providers and capabilities all working in AI, some of which, like the big players, like the Googles, the Amazons, the Microsofts, the IBM Watsons of this world, work across the board at a kind of enterprise corporate level. But there are other providers that are much more specialist and niche that focus on delivering AI for a very specific industry or a very specific purpose. And I think really it's 
we work with clients to try and understand what's the problem they need to solve. Is it a big picture, broad spectrum problem, or is it actually a very specific industry focused problem? And then what is the right AI? What's the right component and uh, component of AI to fix that? The, the AI and I use in my role, for example, maybe to help me predict trends and think about how to advise clients on the future. It might be the same technology capability that you could use on an oil rig to help predict issues around equipment and safety. So we can apply the technology in lots of different ways. And I think it's the key is not to overlook the complexity, but actually to embrace it and not try to think that one size fits all. That makes sense. And I think also uh, there is an ex- perhaps there's an extent to which it's only the industry itself that's going to actually think of this stuff as AI. If the oil rig person thinks of it as a safety measure. When I'm uh, using my account system at home, which is just one person singleton, the fact that uh, suddenly I've started, if I start filling in the company name for an invoice, it pops up and starts filling in the rest based on stuff I've done before. That is I've checked it is AI. It's just that it's a cloud system. I haven't consciously gone and yeah. bought some AI. It's just that someone's thought this could make your life easier. But to my mind, I'm still doing my accounts. It's nothing to do with AI in my brain, but that's exactly what it is. I'm just wondering whether as it becomes more main- mainstream, it'll be only people like me as a commentator, you as a practitioner, who would even think of this stuff as AI. I think you're absolutely right. And more and more, we're, we're combining different technologies all the time, artificial intelligence, cloud technology, big data analytics, to deliver these you know tools and outcomes to people and I think that the examples we talked about earlier like online streaming of film and television or music or search engines they're all using all of these types of technology they're based in the cloud they're using AI but as consumers or as workers and employees we don't think of it like that they're just they're tools that help us and I think that you know we will see much more of that we just embrace it as it evolves. Okay, so uh, final question. Uh, where can uh, listeners find out more about what uh, you and Accenture uh, can do to help them? Well, like everything, it's all hosted there on the World Wide website. So I think Accenture's website has lots of information about our artificial intelligence, our applied intelligence capabilities. And we have a, a blog on their digital perspectives where a number of our different leads in AI posted different things about our approach and, and what's going on in the market. Excellent. Emma Kendrew, AI Head of Accenture, thank you very much indeed for joining me. Thank you. And many thanks to all of you for listening. That was the Near Futures podcast with me, Guy Clapperton. We'll be back in two weeks' time on the 15th. And don't forget to have a look at the website at nearfuturist.co.uk. See you in a fortnight. And Alexa, play Agadoo on repeat.